Hello and welcome to a few choice word podcast. I'm your host Chantal Davison and this afternoon I am joined by the lovely Hannah McCormick. Hannah is one of my clients, has been through my VA Copy College course and is also now a one-to-one coaching client but in addition Hannah also works as one of the agency writers in my choice words copy agency and is a very talented copywriter herself so I'm delighted to have Hannah today but because this is the A Few Choice Words podcast we're not really going to be talking all that much about the glamorous exciting worky side of entrepreneurship we're going to be talking about the slightly more gritty slightly less glamorous side so Hannah before we dive in do you want to introduce yourself to everyone and let us know who you are and what you do. Absolutely. Thanks, Chantel, for having me. And I always blush a little bit when you talk about me being a talented copywriter because let's just say I wouldn't be a job title of mine if it hadn't been for you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, accurate I, nonetheless. <laughs> um, yeah, I am a marketing consultant uh, and I help uh, fellow service providers to uh, set up their marketing in a way that's really sustainable and easy to manage, um, as well as uh, providing copywriting services, social media marketing, email marketing, and um, a little bit of graphic design thrown in there too. Fantastic. Okay, so as you know, and I've been prepped for, this podcast is all about the slightly less glamorous side of entrepreneurship. So I guess let's dive in at the deep end. What have been, do you think, for you, your biggest challenges in the world of entrepreneurship and uh, the kind of the kind of biggest hurdles you've had to come up against in your journey so far? Ooh, well, it's been a bit of a um, it's been a bit of a roller coaster, actually. Um, my my business is a pandemic baby. I started in 2020, actually. Um, I was working as an EA, um, and I. Um, during the, of course, during the pandemic, everything was super stressful. Um, I was still recovering from postpartum depression and anxiety, and it all got a bit much for me in about uh, May 2020. And I took stress leave. My doctor sent me on stress leave for three weeks. Just three weeks of stress leave. That's not a lot. It's um, barely a long vacation. Anyway, my first day back from stress leave, I got fired. Um, Wow. They said my, my job was no longer um, necessary. Um, so whatever. That's quite stressful. Wanted, yeah. <laughs> um, the, the ironic thing was my job was not stressful. I was, my job was painfully easy for me. Mm-hmm. I've been chronically, uh, I, I have this problem of being, I've been in jobs that are being way, way, way below my skill set um, for years. Um, this job was I actually had gotten so good at doing the job that I'd eliminated the role for myself because I'd streamlined everything so well. And then the one part that couldn't be automated, which was the travel booking. Well, as you can imagine, that dried up. So mm-hmm. they, um, they said the role was no longer needed, needed although um, I did see by the December 2020, they had hired someone else in that role. So <laughs> anyway, um, they let me go. They gave me a severance package. And here I am, a mother of two. My husband is not working. He has been waiting to start school at this point. And um, as you know, as you can imagine, it's been delayed and delayed. So we, we don't have an income except for mine. And I thought, could I take another admin role? And I know people always fire the admins first. <laughs> no one ever appreciates what goes into that role. Yeah. And I just didn't want to start all over again with a new company, another new company, learn all the systems. Um, and someone told me about becoming a virtual assistant. So I thought, I'll give it a go. I will try it. I will um, give myself till the end of August. <laughs> That's when my severance runs out. And if I haven't seen that it's got legs, then I will um, do some, then I'll go get a job. Um, any job. <laughs> so I started this VA business. And um, like, it wasn't hard. I was finding clients. I was, I was getting enough. Uh, we, were, we were paycheck to paycheck, invoice to invoice for, mm-hmm. for a while. Um, and I, started, I realized very early on that marketing is essential. If you're an online business provider, if you want to make money, you have to bring in clients. So I started um, getting as much information as I can in free trainings and I was a member, I was a member of a membership and um, 
I signed up for LinkedIn training and then I signed up for copywriting <laughs> with you. And yep. the more I was absorbing this information and implementing into my business, the more people started reaching out, asking for my help with their marketing. And very quickly, this business that started off as a virtual assistant business turned into a social media manager business, turned into a copywriting business. And I actually was getting lots of clients, um, but I didn't have enough time because by this point, this is now um, a year into my business, my husband is finally going to school and I now have to manage the childcare as right. well as this now thriving business. Um, so I'm putting in 60 hours a week of work and managing the kids. Um, and I started bringing in contractors to just help with the workload. But um, the problem is with that is you have a really high revenue, but you're not actually making a lot of money yourself. Yeah. And there's still a lot of work that goes into managing a team of um, subcontractors, no matter how amazing they are. I mean, the better they get, the more money they get from what you're bringing in. So yeah. I found myself uh, November, December of 2021 with a six-figure business and completely burning myself out. And um, luckily around that time, I had stumbled across this account for adults with dyslexia and I, I'm dyslexic. I was diagnosed when I was 14 and I just, I was like, oh, someone else who gets what, what it's like. And I, and going through some of their, um, just, just, they have like networking sessions. You just chat to other people. I started to realize how much um, my dyslexia was influencing my business decisions as an entrepreneur. In what um, way? Well, I think a couple of things, definitely self-limiting. I um, was saying no to a lot of the big, scary projects because um, I, uh, I won't do something unless I know I'm going to like knock it out of the park. I feel you. <laughs> I'm exactly the same way. Yep. Yeah. Um, so there was that. Um, I also just hadn't really, I wasn't allowing for my dyslexic brain. I was trying to make my brain work whenever I wanted it to. Um, mm -hmm. And I wasn't allowing that. There's just some days when this brain is just not gonna work. And giving myself unrealistic deadlines. Um, now I'll say to a client, like I had someone who asked about a project and I said, look, realistically, when I sit down to do it, it's gonna take me two or three hours but I need to get my brain into hyper-focus to do that. And that, I don't know when that's going to strike. So mm -hmm. the timeline is going to be two to three weeks because I need to make sure I get that time. And um, yeah. because I'm selective with who I work with, uh, I've never had any complaints from the clients I work with because if they have a problem with me needing time, then there's someone else there better suited Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. So ha now that you've kind of implemented this system of saying, you know, I, I need two to three weeks because I need to get into that hyper focus. Do you how do you how do you find that managing those timelines and stuff? Because I have always been someone who if I have three weeks to get something done, I will wait until the last day every, every single time. If clients are listening to this, not with your projects, obviously. Um, <laughs> but, you know, do you find that you allow yourself time to procrastinate more? Or do you find that it does genuinely make you more efficient to give yourself that space to, to work when you're, when you're primed and ready? Well, so certain projects uh, like require different brain states. For example, if I'm creating mm -hmm. a bunch of social media graphics, that I can have like music on in the background and I can do that no matter how cruddy I'm feeling. It's just one of those things that mm -hmm. doesn't feel like a lot of work to me, <clears throat> but sorry, I'm just going to have a sip of water. <clears throat> but for example, copywriting, if I'm going to sit down and write a sales page or an email sequence, I know that I need a couple hours of uninterrupted time because, and I also know that I need like, I need time to go through the onboarding transcripts, pull out my vocab notes, and then I need time for that to sit in my brain. Like I need to go walk the dog or something or sleep on it. Mm -hmm. um, 
I've learned to give myself brain breaks. So if I haven't, when I get into hyper-focus, oh my gosh, like the house could be burning down around me and I wouldn't notice. Like I will, I could work for six hours straight, not eating or drinking or going to the washroom. And it's not until the project's done that I'm still like, oh my gosh, I am both starving and desperate for the loop. Um, <clears throat> yeah. But if I'm not getting into hyper-focus, then I will, um, give myself a little brain break, I'll say, okay, it's not coming through. I'm going to go lie down in bed. I'm going to watch something silly on YouTube or take a nap and then come back to it refreshed. Or um, I'll move on to something else that isn't that. So I give myself, like, I, I give myself lots of opportunities. I don't leave the things that are far away till the end. I try to get into the right state of mind. And if that's not happening, mm -hmm. I will use that time productively for something that I I am able to do at that time. And because uh, I know when I get into the hyper focus mode, it'll, uh, it will just churn it out like, like there's nobody's business. It's strange that, isn't it? I am very familiar with the hyper focus mode. Um, and I know you mentioned that you have dyslexia and you've also mentioned that you have been diagnosed with ADHD recently. So is that, does that hyper focus, does that come from the ADHD side of things, do you think? Is that where that hyper focus comes from? Yeah, so I've recently um, discovered that, recently self-identified as ADHD with the help of my therapist. So I haven't mm -hmm. had a formal diagnosis yet. But, but yeah, I think hyperfocus is a, is a um, I guess, a, a, I don't want to say symptom. It makes it sound like superpower. I wanna, yeah, I don't like to use superpower. <laughs> I, there's a whole political correctness thing with the dyslexic community about using superpower. Okay. Uh, it's more just, it's just my brain, fun it's a function of my brain. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that does sort of come with the ADHD. Um, but it's also just, um, I think the best way to describe it is <clears throat> some of the tasks that a lot of people take for granted, take my brain more effort to do. It's a, more of a workout. It's like going up the stairs, like a, someone with a non-dyslexic, non-ADHD um, brain, like they have a certain amount of effort just going up a flight of stairs. But me, I'm going up the flight of stairs carrying a backpack and two big grocery bags. Mm -hmm. So I'm a little bit more tired at the top of the stairs. But maybe they going along the hallway, they, they have a tough time, whereas I'm like on a scooter. <laughs> like certain things yeah. are so much easier for me than they are for the, the average uh, neurotypical person. And so some things are just harder work. And it's just having an awareness of which tasks are those tasks and, and um, being actually just gentle with myself and letting, giving myself permission to not be productive. I genuinely think every person deserves this. And I, I've been talking a lot about this recently with a few people um, networking other, with other business owners. And one of the things that strikes me that we've got wrong generally in the world as a society, particularly in the UK, actually, is this kind of nine to five work as a work as a source of self-esteem. And I mean work, not your job, not your career. I mean, literally, you know, grinding yourself to the bone working all of the time to sort of validate the rest that you then receive and I, I just think we've got it so backwards you know rest rest isn't a reward but also that isn't how you get the best out of anyone I know it's not how I get the best out of myself as my own boss I can regulate that and manage it as you can too yeah but I sometimes look at people in nine to five jobs and and people running large corporations and I just think we've, we've got it so backwards you know look at the Danish or the Swedish and they, they have four hour work day work uh, weeks and are so much more productive it's been proven countless times in countless studies now the productivity is increased when people don't feel the need to be at work nine to five five days a week and yet that's still the norm it's still the it's still considered um almost like a badge of honor and especially for entrepreneurs, I think, especially for entrepreneurs, it's a badge of honor to be working all of the time. And burnout is almost like the ultimate like medal of valor, right? Like if you've burnt out, wow, fuck, you've been working really hard. Like that's that's the kind of um, mentality that you see a lot in this in this space. And so it's lovely to hear someone say, 
you know, actually, I just want to just want to be nice to myself. I just want to treat myself well and recognize that some days it's good. Some days it's not so good. Some days I'm a fucking genius. And some days I'm a wet blanket. That, and that's how I live as well. Like some days getting out of bed is really hard. And some days you hop out of bed. But, you know, we're talking about the less glamorous side of entrepreneurship, but isn't that like the best bit? <laughs> getting, to, getting to decide that for yourself. Yeah, and I think um, I have to give a shout out to my husband, who for one has been supportive of me at every stage, even when I decided to, at the beginning of 2022, uh, to dismantle this business that I have where I've got a huge revenue because it just mm-hmm. wasn't working for, for me and for our lifestyle. Um, and I've basically built it back up in this new format. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also have to say props to Nicole, who is, um, she started off as a subcontractor for me and then just became indispensable. And um, I call her like my business bestie. She's, we're not formally business partners. We still own our own businesses, but we mm-hmm. basically teamed up because we're both moms. Um, we both have to like work around um our husband's work schedules as well, but we're not compromised. Like we're not giving up on our businesses and um, having her there too, to like um, remind me like, Hannah, is this what you want? Cause it's not what you said you want. And, and um, to like, keep me like focused on what our goals are. Um, and uh, like, we will have these conversations all the time. Like we'll be there with each other like come the summer holidays and like hey hey we said we said we weren't going to work that much over the summer mm. or you know let's remember we don't want any we, we said we were going to take some time off in December and um yeah. that's been a huge help um just having I think that I mean and clients to just surrounding yourself with people who are compassionate and understand and like mm-hmm. respect the work that you do and that and, and how it comes um versus trying to squeeze you into say a nine to five schedule yeah because um, I used to when I was back when I was working nine to fives first of all I always got my work done by 12 like it didn't matter how <laughs> I I always every time I went on mat leave they had to find two people to replace me and mm. I'd come back and I would then they'd have to find another two people to replace the new role I was doing like it was just um like and I would be, I would always be done by 12 and then the rest of the day would be like trying to find something to do and not look bored mm-hmm. and of course nine to five like there's no motivation to work harder <laughs> because like they want that body they want that butt in that chair for those hours otherwise they get rid of you because um, yeah. they feel, figure they could be doing it for less money um but uh luckily and i think this is a lot to do with the coffee college too is is charging for deliverables rather than hours um yeah that's helped a lot. Like, again, like I talked about with the way my brain works sometimes, like, let's say I got into like, I, it was, it was a good week, right. I could churn out like five, um, sales pages, um, in a week. And if I'm charging hourly, I'm not going to make a lot of money on that. Whereas yeah. I'm charging hourly and it's a week where I'm having a rough time. It could, I could have a few false starts before I get it out. Yeah. So, um, by charging my deliverables, it takes that pressure off to be time efficient I guess like it's um it gives yeah. me permission to, to have off days absolutely and it just makes sense doesn't it in the world we live in like we're not robots on an assembly machine and pretty soon they're going to be doing most of the jobs we do right now anyway so the jobs that we should be charging for are those those creative things that other people can't do and we should be charging plenty for them for the deliverables of them not just for the time we spend doing them um, I can, yeah, completely. Agree. That actually reminds me of something. So um, this lovely uh, lady, Hannah Duncan, who I know from school, she used to be my mini me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she's a couple years younger than me. We were in the same high school. Um, she's now a copywriter um, for, she does um, investment content, which is just like, sure. um, but when I first started my business, I had a chat with her and she said, what you find the easiest is what you should charge the most for. Like if, if she would say like, if I'm asked to write an article, if it's gonna take me more than 45 minutes to write, I'm gonna turn it down because there's someone better qualified to do it. 
but the ones that takes me 45 minutes, I'm obviously the expert on it. And yeah. I, tr- that's been a little voice in my head. It's taken me a while to actually get there um, because I realized a lot of my dyslexia, I always assumed if I could do it, it wasn't a valuable skill. I always thought of myself as my business wow. as the baseline. Like anything I could do, I would expect everyone else to be able to do. And so if I could do it, it wasn't valuable. Um, and it kind of ties into that money story we tell ourselves too. Like you have to work mm. hard for your money. Like if it's easy, it's not worth anything. Yeah. Um, gosh, that's a hard one to break and start to be like, <laughs> No, even if I do find it easy, I should charge more for this. Like, yeah, that one. Well, it is hard, but but also I think that that normalizing of your own knowledge, of your own expertise, isn't exclusive to dyslexic people. Like, I see people do this all the time. I'm sure I do it myself. We all do. You know, we we as we grow and we learn new things and we learn new skills and and take it on board, we very quickly forget the version of us that didn't know how to do that thing or didn't know that that knowledge or didn't have that skill and that person is you know is a thing of the past we completely forget that they ever existed and we suddenly are just the version of us that knows how to do that thing and so rather than going oh I've really invested in myself and I've uh, you know I've upskilled I've, I've deepened my knowledge we just go well this is the baseline again so our baseline gets higher and higher and higher, but our, our sort of self-esteem or our self-worth or, you know, the value that we put on what we can deliver as a result of those investments doesn't necessarily go up in correlation. So we find ourselves, you know, as, as very skilled, very knowledgeable experts on the subject, still charging too little because we've normalized the whole way. You know, we've, it's, it's like a hill with a really, really um, shallow incline. We, we haven't noticed that we've climbed 10 kilometers in the air. You know, it's, it's an incredibly um, slow and integrating process to learn a new skill or, or deepen your knowledge on something. And it happens without you noticing and, um, and slowly. <laughs> so by the time you, you suddenly are a skilled copywriter, as I referred to you at the start of this call, you're going, what, me? No. But I that's- still, I still think it's, it's, that's still unreal to me. But right. I, I acknowledge because I mean, I work for, I do work for you. And if you're proud enough to put your name on it, then it's got to be worth something. Absolutely. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And, and I think this, but I do think this happens across the board. I think we, we have this perception of ourselves as being the, yeah, like you said, I think you put it perfectly with like the baseline. <laughs> Other people can do all these magical, amazing things, but we forget that our skills are magical and amazing to them. And writing is is for sure one of those. And I know it's one of those things that people put on a pedestal, um, which actually brings me back to, I was going to ask you a question about this because I know that we've spoken in the past about your, I guess your self view of what was possible and limiting yourself because of being diagnosed at 14 with dyslexia. And I wanted to kind of ask you about that because you have clearly changed your mind about that since you now do call yourself a copywriter much to your chagrin but you you know you're happy to call yourself that you acknowledge that's what you do a large part of the time for a living so how how did you overcome that limiting belief that being dyslexic meant you couldn't write and and kind of talk us through that a little bit what's that journey been like yeah I think um it's funny because so (laughs) um I when I was doing my GCSE English um yeah I did grow up in the UK even though the Canadian accent might fool you. <laughs> um, when I was doing my GCSE English, I um, I hated writing the essays, right? And I actually had an arrangement with my English teacher where I just didn't write my essays. Right. <laughs> and uh, we switched teachers halfway through the year, and, and this teacher was like, "Well, Hannah, you didn't hand in your homework." I'm like, "Yeah, no, I don't do that. <laughs> like, I just don't. Um, I would hand in what I needed to for my coursework, but I wouldn't do the homework essays." Um, because I had to, I, um, I realized when I was in school, I had to, again, and it's funny, I was doing this without realizing it, but I was, um, I had to decide where to put my energy, right? So I knew I was never going to need English after school. <laughs> so I would need that energy into it, put my energy into physics and design technology and art, because that's what I was going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I still got an A, so like, you know, should have given me an indication that I wasn't terrible. Um, 
Uh, but yeah, I, like I didn't read for fun because it was hard work. It took me a while until I was an adult that I started to read for fun um, when there was no pressure to do it. Um, and yeah, I think I just never realized it was a skill. I had like the reason I took the copywriting course was I, I was having to do a lot of writing. I was having to write emails and social media captions, especially. And I was like, okay, I need to do this right. I need to do this well. I'm going to do this. So I'm going to learn how to do it properly. Mm-hmm. And it was just kind of funny because like during via copy college, I just sort of um, like, I wrote something and I remember you going, that's really good. And I was just like, it is, but, but I didn't like, it just, yeah. it just, um, it was almost like realizing that I had this skill that I just never gave myself credit for. I just assumed I would be bad at it. Um, but I think the more and more you do it and um, also editing other people's work really helped reading other people's first drafts and being able to identify how to like take it up a notch just showed me that there was a knowledge gap there that I did have something to offer because if I could take this piece of okay copy and take it to great um then like obviously there was something I had yeah and I think I think a lot of people have a misconception about this as well when it comes to you know writing and how to improve writing and how to edit copy there are just strategies there are strategies that you can follow and you know rules of thumb that if you apply them you know I could give 10 tips and if those only were applied the copy would be 10 times better you know and and it really is that simple there are very kind of easy to learn strategies that you can implement and a lot of people I think writing believe that writing is a sort of talent that you're born with or not and most people think they're not yeah and it's interesting actually because I actually think my dyslexia makes me a better copywriter okay because dyslexics are very visual thinkers we we, we're very good at painting pictures with words you'll find like one of the classic um teacher parent teacher night feedback things that you'll find for maybe an undiagnosed student is oh they're they're really good at talking in class but they're just not showing it in their homework Mm -hmm. so dyslexics really don't have any problem making themselves understood or telling stories or explaining things it's just getting it from here from their brain onto paper and there's tools for that now (laughs) yeah things that will transcribe content for you Mm -hmm. um and so I actually like and that's one of the talent like what I get from clients all the time is how do you have this way of explaining things so they're really easy to understand Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things people look for. That's one of the reasons people come back to me for my style of copywriting, because I'm very good. I always talk about, I'll link it back into cake or something. I'm just, I'm always good at like finding those analogies that are very easy to comprehend. And um, that's just like, that's a dyslexic talent that I would, you would have thought dyslexia would limit my abilities, but in fact, it's actually given me strength yeah well one of the I mean one of the golden rules of copywriting that I talk about all the time is keep it simple right it's just it's about being clear and it's about explaining things to you know your kind of grade six or whatever that is like yeah yeah I guess it's like year seven or eight in the UK but that that level of comprehension of understanding of vocabulary is where you want to aim for when you're writing because it's not if something isn't simple to understand if it's not accessible to everyone you are limiting the number of people who can pay for it <laughs> and why would you want to do that so it's yeah absolutely it sounds like that's that's kind of a real edge for you as you instinctively simplify things and, and it's, it's interesting how many clients I find who are like they write like their blog content um it sounds like a textbook mm-hmm. and I'm almost I don't want to say dumbing down because that's I'm, I'm I'm making it more accessible mm-hmm. by simplifying the language and the tone and just chopping out a lot of the fancy schmancy jargony words that aren't necessary yeah so I would like to get back to something you you brought up very briefly at the start I think since we're talking about the less glamorous side of entrepreneurship and life in general uh, you mentioned that right at the start of your business and um or actually before you started your business you suffered from postnatal depression how has that, how has that and, and your anxiety affected running a business? How has that shown up for you? 
Yeah, so I uh, I had postpartum depression and anxiety with both my children, but it took me my second uh, my second round of it to really come to ter- to really acknowledge its presence. Mm-hmm. And um, my I remember having this conversation with my doctor. She's like, "Well, how are you doing?" And I'm like, "Well, I I cope." And her saying, "Hannah, you you shouldn't have to cope. You should just be." Right. And, and realizing that my, again, it's that baseline, right? My baseline was coping when in fact that should be the bottom of the, like that, that shouldn't be my normal. My bottom should be coping and my normal should be just being. Um, so she, she um, encouraged me to, to try some um, anti-anxiety medication and mm-hmm. um, so to, to sort of manage it. And I realized like last year when my anxiety um, it's always a, you're always looking at different levels and everything. We introduced another medication um, to help with focus. And like, I started to realize that one of my stressors was not anxiety anymore. It was I needed to focus more. So we just pivoted the medication that way. So having medication has really helped with that. But I think also um, when you become a parent, especially when you become one with, <laughs> with a, a postpartum depression and anxiety, you just don't care about the small stuff anymore. Like uh, I used to be that person who was always at work minimum of five minutes early. Like I was like, if you're on time, you're late kind of people. Never left for lunch break on time. Always arrived back early. Um, always worked that extra 15, 20 minutes or something at the end of the day. Um, and would like do work on weekends or whatever, um, even though no one was paying me. Um, and I kind of took that mentality into entrepreneurship too. But um, I think after becoming a mother, like you just, you just lose the capacity to care about that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You have to just like choose what you're going to care about. And so suddenly like the kids sort of take a bit of priority over, you know, what your coworkers might think of you showing up on time versus, or a minute late. Yeah. Um, in fact, my lovely doctor, she told me when I had my first kid, she said, Hannah, get used to being late. I want you to show up late to your next appointment because you're going to be late now <laughs> forever. <laughs> <laughs> and it's true. Um, it is true. It is almost impossible to leave the house on time with small children. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think um, being aware that I needed to factor in self-care um, was a big player in it. I think um, there was a lot of pressure on me when my business started because I was the sole income owner. It was on me to bring in right. enough money to pay for rent and food and everything. Um, How did that feel? <laughs> um, I mean, it, it was weird because it felt cool to be like, to have a, like, I did it right? Like I'm looking back and I've been in business for two and a half years now and I Mm -hmm. I did it. You know, we borrowed a bit of money and we got into a bit of debt, but, but we didn't get evicted. (laughs) You know, my kids got fed and new clothes and they got to go to preschool and summer camp and all that jazz. Yeah. That's no small thing either. No, I know. My husband was able to go to school and now he's uh, a plumber um, and he's finally found a job that he absolutely loves. And we're in a space where it's like, um, he doesn't have, like, he doesn't have to work. He's, he wants to work and he's doing it or, you know, and we, um, I don't have to have my business, but I choose to have my business. Like we're at a place where we're comfortable enough that, you know, we can, um, be choosy. Like I can be choosy with the clients I take on now. And that's, because I was able to help him get into a position where he's got a well-paid job. And um, yeah, so it's just, um, it was, it's kind of crazy, (laughs) Um, kind of amazing, very stressful though. Um, Mm. It it was like, I I realized um, right when my husband started working, when he finished his course, I actually asked him to take like two months before finding a job because I was like, I'm just at my, I'm at max and I need to like refocus and I it's kind of that's when I realized 
okay, this is not going to work. You're trying to do 60 hours a week, 60 hours of work, and you realistically have 15 hours of child-free time a week. So mm-hmm. I had to re-set up. Like, Doesn't compute. <laughs> 15, one, five, not five, yeah. zero. Um, so I basically started this year trying to make a business that worked where I only put in 15 hours of work a week. And now the kids, now um, the kids are in um, school, so they're, they're out of the house longer. But now I have this gift of extra time and um, I, I can now take on more stuff because I've worked my schedule to work in that 15 hour work week. And it's totally yeah. doable and you can make, you can earn a decent income. Mm-hmm. It's just knowing your value, knowing your boundaries and um, yeah, just sort of surrounding yourself with people who understand like my clients we're all going into this. I, I, a lot of my clients who were monthly, we've now kind of refocused into this where I'm going to create bundles of content for them, like four blog posts at a time and a couple months of, of social media content around the school holidays. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't have to work over the holidays. Nicole doesn't have to work over the holidays. They don't have to work over the holidays if they want to. It's just all yeah. done and bundles. And um, Great. just realizing that like you don't have to fit into the nine to five schedule if you're an entrepreneur, that you don't have to. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And I completely agree. I, one of the things I'm planning on changing in my business um, very soon, actually, one of the realizations I had this morning was I quite regularly find myself, if someone wants a 9am meeting with me, I really resent it. <laughs> and I quite often end up moving them making excuses to have them later in the day saying I've got meetings until 11am when I don't. And I've decided I'm going to stop lying, stop, stop, you know, pretending that it's not okay for me to decide that I don't want meetings until 11 because I like sleeping until nine. And so I'm just going to do that now. My diary is not going to open until 11am and I'm going to not feel bad about that because quite often I am incredibly productive up until five. Quite often I'm incredibly productive up until two. Quite often I'm incredibly productive up until 9 p.m. My days flex, depending like you. It's, you know, it's not for me an ADHD thing, as far as I'm aware, <laughs> but it certainly is a super focus, a hyper focus thing. You know, I relate to that very much so. And there are days, yesterday was one of them where I am just not a productive human. And that, and that just is what it is. And I, rather than beating myself up and making excuses and, you know, flexing constantly to people, please and meet other people's agendas. That's my new rule now. My diary opens at 11. See you after that. I'll be sleeping till nine. We're having a leisurely breakfast, doing some yoga, getting myself set up into the office, answering emails, doing the stuff that feels good for me in the morning because I get to, because I get to. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, it's when you work from home as well, it's very easy to, to make, especially with our zoom world, right? Like I, I've done it where I've scheduled like four back-to-back calls and I, mm-hmm. I can't do anything else that day. Cause I'm just exhausted from yeah. talking <laughs> for four hours straight. Um, and so, yeah, like now I do, I, I block off a day in my calendar and like no calls this day. And, um, and I can only take calls. I mean, I actually can only take calls between certain times. Although, again, all my clients wouldn't have a problem with kids showing up during a call or them like pulling, like pulling my focus away. Um, for me, it's just way less stress to have calls when the kids aren't home. So yeah, you can only re- you can only have a call with me when the kids aren't home. Yeah. Uh, that's that's the beauty of it that really is the beauty of it and I think a lot of entrepreneurs don't take advantage of that don't feel they can give themselves permission to take advantage of that of that very beautiful fact that as a business owner you get to choose your hours you get to choose your pay now I I I was having a conversation with one of my uh, one-to-one coaching clients the other day who's starting a copywriting business and um she was concerned because one of the ways of working that she had tried to implement her client didn't like and you know, she said to me, I should adjust her way of working, shouldn't I? And as you can imagine, Hannah, fuck no, <laughs> no way, absolutely not. It's your business. You know, the, the flip side of running your own business 
is that no one has to choose you. No one has to pay you. You know, you're not getting paid for your holidays. You're not getting paid for when you're sick. You're not getting paid if someone doesn't want to work with you. You don't just get a steady income each month. But there, therefore, the rub, the good, the good side of that is that you get to set your hours. You get to set your prices. You get to set your ways of working. And the choice that a potential client has is yes or no. And that's, that's up to them. There's no pressure. Don't want to work with me? That's cool. Like working at 8 a.m.? You do you, boo. I don't. <laughs> and, that, and, you know, that is, that is fine. That is allowed. And, of course, you know, I recognize the privilege in that. Of course I do. I recognize that not everyone is in a position where their business is successful enough or they've got, you know, access to um, all the hours in the day to work whenever they want to. Lots of other reasons why people are restricted in when they can work and, and have to make compromises. But if, you know, if you know that you are at your most productive at 8 p.m., don't design your workday so that you're exhausted by 8 p.m. If you know that you want to spend the mornings having breakfast with your kids and taking them to the park, choose that, prioritize that, because that is the beauty of running your own business. You you are the boss. And yeah. most of and us think, don't feel like it a lot of the time. <laughs> I mean, as I said, like, I'm, I've been fortunate that, um, like, I've, I've had... Um, the support of my husband and, um, and it wasn't financially easy starting my business, um, or making the decision to like say goodbye to, I basically said goodbye to all my monthly clients. Um, and we, I said like, we're going to have to find a new way to work together. And it's taken a while for us to all find the right way to do that. Um, but, um, and it like, there was a financial consequence to that, Mm -hmm. but I just had to keep reminding myself, if I wanted a job, like if I wanted to go work for someone else, honestly, I could get something. It's, that's not hard. It may not mm-hmm. be the job I want, but I could get a job. There's all, there's, I mean, we're in a great nation right now. There's, there's jobs. Um, it may not be the job I want, but I could get one. And I'm an entrepreneur because I'm choosing to be an entrepreneur. I'm choosing to own my own business um, because I love I love having that control and that freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, I love being able to say, this is what I want to work on. I love the fact that within a two and a half year scope, I went from being a virtual assistant to being a social media manager, to being a copywriter, to now being more of a marketing consultant. Um, and that as I have an interest, I can pursue that interest and like change my skills, my, my service offerings based on what I enjoy doing. Yeah, That's the kind of freedom I don't want to give up. So I have to remind myself um, I have to keep in mind that I'm choosing to be here. So it may as well be something I want to do, <laughs> you know, like yeah. if I, if you're going to have a, like, if you're, if you're going to give yourself a crappy work life, then go have someone else pay you to do it versus <laughs> give it to yourself. Right. right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Couldn't agree joke, more. I always joke with my kids, like, oh, my boss is such a bitch. <laughs> 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 we work on staff holidays. Stuff. <laughs> yep, yep. The boss can be a bitch, but yeah, you know, she also lets us have the occasional morning in bed and uh, take holidays and enjoy time yeah. with our family. So there's perks and pitfalls, like everything, right? That's what this is about. <laughs> okay, so before we wrap up, Hannah, I would love to ask you a question that I am asking all of my guests, which is where the world of kind of entrepreneurship and um, running your own business can be quite lonely, what advice would you give yourself? If you could go back and give yourself some advice when you first started your business, what what would you tell yourself that you think would have made your life a little bit easier over the last few years? Um, it's an interesting, because my the first thing that comes to my mind is find a buddy, which is actually something I did fairly early on. Mm. But if you can find... A business buddy <laughs> they don't need to be your business partner or someone but someone who who knows your situation knows what you're going through who can be there to just kind of be a cheerleader because that is something when you're a solopreneur when you're on your own it it's lonely and you can lose perspective so if you can find someone who understands that perspective because I, I I found it quite isolating when I became a business owner because my 
my friends aren't business owners. They still work in that corporate nine to five. Their life is completely different to mine now in terms of their work life is completely different to mine. And so the most valuable thing I could do was to find people who understood the challenges of what I did and the pressures and could be there just to help me keep my eye on the prize, like keep my focus on what was important. And, and actually in Nicole, I found someone who could help lighten the load too. I found someone who could offer the same services I did so we could share mm -hmm. bigger projects, which means we could take on bigger ticket pa um, pa clients um, without the stress of like, ah, I've got this huge project to do all by myself. Now we can yeah. do it together and sort of share the load. And um, she's there to help me with my marketing too. We, we now pool our efforts with our marketing so that it's a lot easier. We, we, we do the work together so then we can market for our own individual businesses. Yeah. Um, and we share referrals. It's really great that way. She'll bring in a client that I'll work with her on. I'll bring in a client that she'll work with me on. And, and it's, um, it, I mean, those people are like, Nicole is a, is a little diamond in the rough, but if you can find, um, if you can find a business buddy, a business bestie, um, to just help keep everything in perspective and help keep you sane. <laughs> exactly. And help you acknowledge when your baseline has shifted, like help you see the, the improvements yeah. in the journey that you've made and tell you to raise your freaking prices. <laughs> yeah. So you'll need that. <laughs> you've, been, you've been that for me a lot too, Chantal. Um, I consider you one of those people in that support network that helped me continue to, to do this. Um, people like you make this possible. And um, so that's my advice is, is as soon as you can find someone who gets it and can um, help like, so you can basically you need an accountability buddy. Find an account yeah. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. It's so important that people you surround yourself with. And I think that, you know, the theme you've brought up there about family and friends not necessarily understanding is one that I've heard a few people talk about now on this podcast and on others. And I think it's just, it's something that you don't really, it doesn't really occur to you until you're in the situation where you need that support, right? Like you, you know, work is work and running your own business must be just like having a job, right? You're just doing it for yourself. But whilst the rewards are spectacular, the challenges are you know, can, can be excruciating and, you know, things like not getting paid when you're sick, which I know you have, have dealt with. I have certainly dealt with, you know, not getting paid when you need, you know, sympathy leave, when you, when life goes wrong, when shit really hits the fan, realizing that there is no one else who's going to pick up, <laughs> pick up that mantle and carry it on. So you have to, regardless. And, and knowing that is, you know, it is a responsibility and a, a weight that I think business owners carry that is very hard to explain to people who haven't been in that situation. You know, you've got to keep the fire burning regardless. And I think, you know, certainly I've seen this in you, but in my, in my colleagues and my friends and my, you know, my, my other networks as well, it does breed resilience, <laughs> if nothing else, right? <laughs> you you will become resilient. It's funny how much entrepreneurship is like parenthood too. And mm -hmm. I had a similar thing because I had all, I had my babies before my friends had their babies. Mm -hmm. And like, just like that, you can't just like, oh yeah, let's go out tonight. You've got to think of things like, well, who's going to watch the kids and what are they going to eat for dinner? And um, you don't get sick days as a parent. If you're sick, you still have to watch your kids. Believe me, I know because I've been sick this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> kids to care for. Um, so what you're telling me is, what everything I've been doing over the last five years has been excellent training for if I decide to have children. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, it's a whole nother kettle of fish in that sense that it, it can be very lonely. It can be very isolating and it can be, yeah. um, and it is like, like you said, like sick, sick days. You don't really, even when you're an entrepreneur, you don't really get sick days. If you mm. get a sick day, you don't get paid. So yeah, you can well, be sick if you like, but <laughs> you should give yourself some sick days, but it, there's a price for it, yeah. right? It costs you something. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, it's just, um, it, I think it's just being aware of 
the costs, but also the benefits and, and just reminding yourself, like making sure you have the business that you want to have, because it is a choice. It is a choice to be an entrepreneur. Mm, um, absolutely. Well, a choice we'll keep on making, I think, for now. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm not going back. I'm not going back. <laughs> I'm unemployable now. So that's that's that for me. Before we go, Hannah, I want to make sure the audience know where they can find you and uh, what's going on with you and how they can get involved in what you're doing. So I know you've got a challenge coming up. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that and where people can... Uh, Obviously, I'll include the link below this podcast, wherever people are watching it and on my socials when promoting this podcast. But do you want to just talk talk us through that challenge and how people can get involved? Yeah. So actually, myself and the fabulous Nicole, um, we we spent December completely revising our marketing strategy. And we came up with a system where we batch produce video content, use that to make podcast content, use that to make social media content. And we realized just how much time it saved and it's something we've been helping our clients to implement. And now we want to just share it with as many people as possible because we want others to realize like to, to have um, their time back the way that we gained our time back from marketing. So we have this challenge. It's called the full circle content challenge. Um, And it's, it's a showing up solo challenge, which is Nicole and I, we have a podcast and a YouTube series called showing up solo you can find us online. Um, we're pretty good. If you Google showing up solo, we're most of the top hits. Um, but the, the full circle t- content challenge is we're, we're going to show you how to come up with the long form content. So that's video, podcasts, or blog posts, like how to come up with topics that your audience actually want. Um, and then how to take that content and turn it into like 20 different pieces of content. Um, so that essentially in um, just a few days, you can have a whole year's worth of content generated. And um, that's, that's what our challenge is. We're amazing. a two day challenge with a little bonus masterclass on the end on how to create an evergreen content bank. And um, we're really hoping um, any uh, solopreneur service providers out there who are finding all the marketing overwhelming, mm-hmm. um, will come and join and just see that it can be easier and we can like really lighten the load so you can keep having clients coming in because that is it marketing's a non-negotiable if you're an entrepreneur yeah you keep getting clients in but it doesn't have to take over your life and this is the method that we put in place bearing in mind that we have our little 15 hour work weeks so like yeah it has to find it efficient system yeah so that is running from the 26th to the 27th of october and 2022 if you're listening later you cannot time travel back to it but i'm sure she's doing another one um, so that is running on the 26th 27th of october with masterclass on the next day i'll pop a link to sign up for that in the show notes and below wherever you are watching this um, please do make sure if you are a solo entrepreneur, if you are a content creator, even if you're a business owner who has your own team, this challenge will be a great way for you to find an effective solution to content creation and marketing in your business. Um, if you currently outsource it, this will help you to create, as Hannah says, that long form original content. So the outsourcing becomes easier and, uh, and more efficient as well. So whatever it is you do in this online space, if you create content and if you're not, get get off the podcast and uh, do that because marketing is very important. Um, make sure you get yourself signed up for that challenge. And um, you can follow Hannah on social media as well. Hannah, do you want to share your, your social media links? Yeah, so my personal one is HM Virtual Assistance. So Instagram is at HM underscore virtual assistance. But the easiest place to find me is just showing up solo. I'm at showing up solo on all the platforms. Um, and that's a really easy way to find me. Um, yeah. Fantastic. I will share the links below as well. Thank you so much for joining me today, Hannah. It's been wonderful to chat to you. And from us here at A Few Choice Words podcast, I've been Chantelle Davison and Hannah McCormick. Thank you very much. <laughs>